Hello and welcome to the Pat and the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me on the line as he does every week, it's Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? Yeah, good evening, Winnow. How are you? I uh, saw on your Family Sunday Facebook page today that you went and saw Space Jam 2. Did you want to give us a quick um, quick summary on that one and whether it quite lived up to the hype or not? Uh, look, it's fair to say LeBron James isn't winning winning any Oscars at any stage of his acting career, Caddy. It's, it wasn't too bad. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a movie about somebody playing... You know, basketball with some Looney Tune characters, so it's about as wacky as what you'd expect. It's probably on par, to be honest, with the original one. A bit of fun, and yeah, good to see, good to see uh, LeBron throwing down some uh, ridiculous dunks. Uh, very good. Now we'll have to try and get get the kids to it uh, during this next school term, hopefully. No, it's definitely. I'm sure the kids will enjoy it, mate. So get your family out there if you can. Now, before we get into the basketball stuff, Kat, I think we need an update. Um, on, on your situation, you mentioned last week about you were, you were disappointed that we, you weren't going to see the first episode of Farmer Wants a Wife, and you hinted, <laughs> you hinted at that perhaps one of the contestants was a was a former childhood sweetheart or so, or something along those lines. Can you fill us in a little bit more, Caddy? Because I'm intrigued about that. Well, look, I've got some history in this department with Farmer Wants a Wife. Look, if it, if that is the case, that there was a, a girl that was there in, uh, last week, that would be the second time. A former flame has been on Farmer Wants a Wife, and <laughs> really, one 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 actually went all the way a few years ago and married the farmer and moved down to Tasmania. So oh, no. I think he's still down there some years later and um, has had a kid and all sorts of things. But this one was more of a, a fleeting flame, I would have thought. And um, her uh, her appearance on Farmer Wants a Wife this year was quite fleeting. She didn't make it through to um through to the repertoire <laughs> repercharge rounds at all. So um, yeah, she was. So was she on the show at all, or what was? The... Yeah, she was on the show. Yeah, just, okay. yeah. I think what was her did. name? Just just uh, Lisa. So Lisa? yeah, okay. she was. Um, I wouldn't you know say it was a standout. Flame, but yeah, just a girl that was at school with us, and um, yeah, had, had you know, clearly showed some interest in in, in myself at, <laughs> at, at some point there as well. So well, she's only human caddy, isn't she? <laughs> well, it wasn't good enough for any of the farmers to choose her, so um, yeah, she's back to the drawing board. No, oh, well, she, she's she's just been searching for that flame, obviously, ever since you broke her heart all those years ago, caddy. So <laughs> hopefully, she can get back on the horse, so to speak. So yeah, enough of the farmer wants a wife uh, talk, caddy, <laughs> as intriguing as that may be for everybody. Uh, so yeah, we've had we've had the first two games of the NBA finals. So it was game game one. It was a one eighteen one oh five victory for Phoenix, and then a game two one eighteen one oh eight wins. Obviously, a very similar score there. So what have you seen so far out of the, these two games, Caddy? Do do you think it's a Milwaukee? I guess still in this series, or a Phoenix clearly clearly the the dominant team, or is it just a matter of the fact that Phoenix have had the first two games at home? It's obviously very that, that's a very good uh, home court advantage they have there with, with the crowd. Where, where do you sit with Milwaukee at this stage? Do you think they can still get into this series? Yeah, I think so. Look, you've got to give them the opportunity to um, play these games at home first and foremost. But- Play the next two games in Milwaukee, so that's the opportunity for them to, you know, get work their way back into the series. I mean, first and foremost, it was great to see you know Giannis come out and, and take the court in that first game. It was you know. What did you think about trip. him in game one? He looked he looked certainly not a hundred percent in game one, but there seemed to be a a, a a pretty high uptick in his second. Obviously, you know, his, his uh, box score would say that, but he certainly looked better in game two as well, just from the naked eye, didn't he? Yeah, well, just when he came out of the blocks, like I was really watching with a whole heap of trepidation every time he, you know, attacked the rim, and he, and that was the pleasing thing. I think if you're a Milwaukee supporter, he did really attack the rim early in the game, and you know, took that, you know, taking some you know jumps up high and not being sure where he was going to land, and he had the confidence to to still be able to do that. And they're they're the ones that you really you know you're scared to see you know how he's going to 
react to, to some of those awkward landings. So he was able to, to get through. I thought he had a particular, uh, I suppose, demise in that second half where I, I felt that he you know, he certainly didn't look anywhere near 100%. I thought, you know, the first half he probably may have been batting at about 80%. And then by the, that second half, I thought his uh, production and, and his movement and ability, um, to, you know, just to get around the court was probably more into the 50 to 70%. So It was more his lateral you, movement, wasn't it? Like he... The thing we love about Giannis is his ability to rebound the ball and sprint the length of the floor, and then you see him do that sort of that that spin move dunk. And we haven't seen real. I think we saw one early in game two, but he certainly hasn't been spinning as much as possible. Maybe he can't push off that knee. Obviously, we're just speculating here. And, and that and that vicious Euro step that that's such an integral part of his game hasn't quite been there either. Now it was definitely better in game two, but yeah, it, it's you could certainly see in game one. And as you mentioned there, the second half he was. You know, he was nowhere near as as effective. But he's still – we've seen him hobble a few times, haven't we? Sort of grab that knee. Um, I think when he collided with Torrey Craig, he, he grabbed his knee there. And we, we have seen him come up hobbling. So he's clearly not 100%, which makes his second uh, game two performance all that more incredible. Where, where he had 20 points in the third quarter, the, the highest scoring quarter since Michael Jordan dropped 22, uh, coincidentally on Phoenix back in 93 as well. So you, you can't have anything but admiration for the level of output he's had, can you? Because he's clearly not 100%. Oh, absolutely, and I think he, you know, he's been able to at least, you know, get out there, give it a real go, and and hasn't, you know, embarrassed himself by any stretch. And you know, as, as you mentioned, game two, he was you know, right back to almost the peak of his powers. And yeah, I think it was really an incredible effort that he was able to get out there for game one. You know, he had the twenty point seventeen rebounds. So I think, you know, the pr- offensive production. You know, he, we're, we're more used to seeing him in these type of games, put up close to the thirty and above in terms of the in terms of the scoring, but. Um, that first game, he just wasn't able to really get the going offensively, and 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 to be fair, the whole Milwaukee team really did sort of struggle out of the gate in this game, and Phoenix were able to sort of put a, a sizable gap into them, you know, even by half time had the eight point margin, and then really kicked it out in that third quarter, and it was essentially game over. So, you know, they were able just to get a more even com- even contribution from their big players. Um, Booker, Paul Ayton, all were all fantastic in that first game. Bridges chipped in as well and they got some really good support off the bench and uh, from Cam Johnson and campaign who both you know in that first quarter came in hit their hit both hit their first three-point shot went in and it would have given them enormous confidence just to be able to you know know that they were going to be able to contribute throughout you know hopefully for the continuation of that series I mean Jay Crowder was the one that didn't have his shot going at all he was none from eight in that first game none from five from three um, but obviously was able to rebound and play a more important role in game two so I think you know as we discussed in the preview, I probably looked at the more even contribution and, and probably being more, you know, more optimistic around the ability of these Phoenix players to contribute on a night-to-night basis. Um, where I had those concerns around, you know, some of those Milwaukee secondary players like Middleton and Holiday, whether they could sustain peak performance all the way through the series, and we've already seen that um, ebb and flow already. But they'll get their chance back at home tomorrow in Game Three. So that's obviously the biggest question mark that you just touched on there, isn't it? Just the, the level of consistency from those second-tier players behind Giannis. Now, we mentioned last week when we previewed the series about Chris Middleton's up-and-down performances, and he was great in Game 1, 29 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, and he was the guy that could pr- – probably really the only guy that had sort of any offensive flow. And then we see him Game 2 – 11 points, um, he did have the 8 assists, but, you know, only 5 of 16 from the uh, from the floor. Drew Holiday as well. I did actually like his aggression early on. He took, 
oh God, he had like 11 shots early on in this game, but he was missing a lot of layups and bunnies around the rim that he's usually really crafty with, with that left hand, and he generally finished those. So I actually didn't mind the shots he was taking. It was obviously more so that they weren't going in. Um, but his defense has been outstanding, but you definitely need more um, from Drew Holiday. He did have the 17 points, but he was 7 from 21 from the field. So you're looking at both of those two, and between the two of them, you've got, what's that? So 12 out of 37 from the field, and that's just not going to cut it in, in the NBA Finals. Giannis gave him absolutely everything that he could in Game 2, and, and his, and his uh, players down underneath him just didn't come to the party. So what, what, what level of confidence have you got that Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday can get going from an offensive perspective now that the series shifts back to Milwaukee? Oh, you'd like to think they'll have, well, they're going to have to bring it tomorrow. There's, if they don't, it's probably series over when all things are said and done. So they really need to come out tomorrow, hit, you know, hit their shots, you know, get things going, start feeling themselves a little bit more because they really have, as you, as you mentioned, just haven't been able to um, consistently, you know, score at any sort of effective uh, level. So, and, and that's been the, the main difference, I think, so far in the series where, you know, just the shooting percentage numbers have, have, have differed so much from, from those players. Um, you know, you take Giannis's fifteen to twenty-two out of the out of the story uh, from Game Two, and it was pretty hard to watch from the Milwaukee offensive end. So, you know, they're going to have to bring it. You know, I found it interesting enough, probably late in that Game Two, where Milwaukee sort of went away from Brook Lopez as well. They uh, played a lot more with uh, Pat Connaughton out there and Giannis at the five, so they sort of went away. Connaughton was pretty good too, wasn't he? Hit you know four of nine from three. You can't ask for much more from that out of Pat Connaughton. That, that's about as good as you're going to get from him. From him, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But you know, I think they probably need to continue to keep confidence with Brook Lopez. Yeah, you know, he's going to have to play a significant role for them if they're going to win this series or at least get back into the series. So, yeah, I did find it interesting that they, you know, they did bench him down the stretch. Uh, oh, he only like, had twenty-two from, from minutes. Stretches. Sorry, he only had twenty-two minutes in game one and twenty-seven in in game two. So, yeah, I, I agree. It's they're obviously a very thin team, as we've spoken about um, before this playoff series. So I, I get that, you know, game one that Lopez probably got exposed uh, defensively. We, we saw him playing the drop coverage at time, particularly in the third quarter in game one. He he played the drop coverage. He tried to play the man-on-man coverage. They took him off, then they brought Bobby Portis on, and he got cooked as well. So I, I understand that in game one that uh, the, the, the centres were getting cooked, but I, I agree with you. They've got to try and find a way... Um, to help Brook Lopez out, and I thought they were better defensively fighting through the screens in Game One. It was just some a Phoenix player come up and set the screen, and, and they would just willingly switch that matchup without even trying to fight through the screen. So it was it was very evident in Game Two that they were more um, dogged defensively trying to fight through that scheme, which obviously through that screen, sorry, which obviously helps Brook Lopez out immensely. But that, they do, I agree, they have got to find a way to to keep Brook Lopez on the floor because he's one of the few guys that you can sort of throw the ball to, and you know you're going to ha- get at least a half decent shot, won't you? Yeah, that's right. And um, you know, I think the the issue for Brook at this stage is um, they're looking to play a lot more uh, with Giannis manning up on DeAndre Ayton in those one on one situations, you know, inside the paint. So. That's sort of leaving Brook Lopez on, out on a little bit of an island and probably getting, you know, just found out in those other matchups. So it's whether they sort of look to go back to Lopez to take that responsibility on DeAndre Ayton, um, which really, to be fair, as you mentioned, it didn't end that well in that game one. Um, Ayton had, a, had an incredible game one. I think it was the first time they mentioned uh, since Tim Duncan that someone had a 15 and 15, in, in, you know, in the first game of their final. So he was able to do that. But again, I think they're going to have to just restore some confidence back into Lopez because, yeah, I think as the series goes on, they're going to need at least you know one of those big games out of him. And if it's not him, you know, it's not like they went to Bobby Portis either. So 
you know, they're going really thin with this rotation. Uh, with only Jeff Teague in, in game two that played the 12 minutes off the bench behind uh, Pat Cotton, and, and then it was just Bobby Portis with five minutes and Bryn Forbes with six. So they've gone. What odds really, do you reckon really... you would have got early on in the season about Jeff Teague playing 12 minutes in an NBA finals game? Well, it probably shows where they're at, to be honest, in, in a sense. Like, there's just no way he can be out there for, <laughs> for that sort of time. And, um, yeah, they. You know, they're obviously getting nothing out of my man Bryn Forbes uh, so far in the series. And you know, that's, I warned that's you, Caddy. I tried to warn you. Well, you know, I was just trying to find a way. But you know, you, then you looked at you know what what's been happening on the other end of the floor, and you know, the production the Phoenix in that game too got out of a goal like Mikhail Bridges was. You know, that's been the difference. They haven't found another guy in Milwaukee that can complement whether it's Giannis or Middleton or Holiday. And to get a game like uh, Bridges played the other day, the twenty-seven point seven rebounds was was outstanding for Phoenix. And again. You know, not that he had to take the you know any offensive pressure off Paul or Booker because they both played well as well. But yeah, just just such a complimentary piece to to have there playing with such confidence and you know really helping out um, the depth chart there in Phoenix. What have you made of the defensive matchups from a Milwaukee perspective? I found I found it a little strange that in Game One it was PJ Tucker that was given the task of guarding Chris Paul, and Chris Paul was able to get into his sets. He wasn't pressured. You know, bringing the ball up the floor because PJ—that's not the type of defender PJ Tucker is. He's, you know, he's strong. He he, he hustles. He does everything he can, but he's not going to be able to um, hassle Chris Paul as he brings the ball up the floor. Now, come game two, they did switch that. Drew Holiday took Chris Paul for a majority of the of the game, and it definitely had an effect on Chris Paul. He was obviously a lot more fatigued late in the game. So, did you find it strange in game one that they did go with Tucker on Chris Paul? Well, particularly considering you've you brought a guy in the off season like Drew Holiday into the into the team and paid him, you know, almost max money and given up, you know, multiple first, first team all defensive guard. Yeah, well, you'd think, you know, that if the, the main job he would have is to guard a guy like Chris Paul, in, you know, in the NBA Finals as it is. So, yeah, look, definitely interesting that they went down that route, and it obviously didn't, you know, last too long into game two because, yeah, Chris Paul was just getting to whatever spot he wanted to, and you know, his shooting performances in both games have been. On a historic level, really, and then you include, you know, the game, the last game of the Western Conference Finals as well. That forty-one point game has just been a killer three-game stretch, really, for Chris Paul. And um, yeah, look, they're going to have to keep trying to throw up some different answers at this stage. And you know, I don't think PJ Tucker's you know, going to be able to sustain any type of permanent ability to, to shut down Paul. He's just too clever. He's just getting to wherever he wants, and if he's not shooting that little floating mid-ranger. He's, you know, kicking it out to, to one of these other shooters who are you know, making the most of their opportunities as well. So from a Phoenix perspective, we've obviously everybody, – everybody's been super impressed with both Chris Paul and Devin Booker. You brought up Mikael Bridges' name. Well, he – you know, from a from Milwaukee's perspective, you can't have Mikael Bridges – outperforming Chris Middleton, and that's obviously what happened in Game 2, and that that was the difference, you know, between the two teams. What about DeAndre Ayton? He was super impressive in Game 1. I think you, you brought up his stats with the with – the, was it the Tim Duncan or the David Robinson uh, comparison? Um, he, he was a little bit quiet. He looked a little bit off in Game 2, didn't he? What about the concern uh, with the two injuries from Phoenix? Uh, Dario Saric did his ACL, unfortunately, in Game 1, so he's obviously gone for the series and, and a large chunk of, of next uh, next season as well. Tony Craig took a brutal charge on, on, a, on a Giannis drive uh, in the last quarter, I think it was, in Game 2. Now, they've said there's no significant injury and they haven't really said whether he's going to be available for Game 3, but let's let's say he's not because you'd imagine that he, he probably won't be. Do you foresee any problem with 
Phoenix now having to go deeper into their rotation. We didn't see much out of Kaminsky in Game 2. I think it was only about 50, 51 seconds. Abdel Nadia only played a 50 seconds. They might have to rely on those two or if they go a little bit deeper into the rotation, maybe a, an Etuan Moore gets some minutes. Do, do you think it's going to be an issue that if if uh, Tory Craig is out for the remainder of the series that they might have to rely upon a guy that might little that maybe will, will cost them? Oh, look, it's clearly not ideal, you know, to be losing any any of your key rotation pieces. And you're talking Surridge and Tory Craig here. But, you know, they have been playing, you know, really serviceable roles off the bench all season for Phoenix. So you don't want to get too, you know, too clever or dismiss the fact that they're not out there. Uh, but I think the one thing Phoenix has shown, and, and I've spoken about it a number of times, is that they do have quite a deep bench, you know, and we, they can go deeper, you know, with Antoine Moore. They've got Langston Galloway there if they really needed to. You mentioned Kaminsky and Nader who did get on the court for those uh, 50-odd seconds uh, in game two. So, you know, you take just say you take those two out, you take Tory Craig out, you, uh, you're left with just a seven-man rotation if that's the way they go. But as I said, they, there are options with Kaminsky, Nader, Etwan Moore, Jalen Smith if they had to, Javon Carter. You know, there's some players there that have um, played roles all the way through the season at different times for Phoenix. So, you know, I don't think you're going to be counting on them for any long stretches, but they, you know, if they just need a pinch hit for a minute or two, at any given time, I think they do have enough coverage there. Look, I, I am probably slightly concerned even just looking at the box score and the minutes played even in these this game too. You had Aiton at 42, Chris Paul at 41, and Devin Booker at 44. Now, Chris Paul at his age, that's high minutes for someone of his age like, to go over a series after series with Drew Holiday hounding him, isn't it? Oh, for sure. But, you know, it's, it's paid off so far getting the two wins in the bank. But, yeah, you don't want to take your chances too much with that. If there's any... You know, any sort of ability to get these guys some, some additional rest, you know, particularly in, in one of these next two games here in Milwaukee, then I think you've, you've probably got to look at doing it because, yeah, you just don't want, you know, God forbid anything happening, uh, particularly to Chris Paul uh, from a soft tissue point of view. But, you know, this is the NBA Finals. It's, it's not un, unusual for, you know, for the main players to, to play the bulk of the minutes and the rotations to really get down to those seven or eight men uh, on, on either side. So it's not, you know, as much as losing Saric as a, Backup big and and potentially Tory Craig as a backup you know wing defender you know I think as long as they've still got that solid seven man rotation and the ability to pinch it with any of these other guys we mentioned I think they're still in a in a good place and and clearly you know in an excellent shape of the two one, uh, two zero lead yeah it's the, the only concern I guess is the fact that Surridge was their was their backup center Tory Craig could also play a bit of small ball five so they're going to be searching now for a backup to eight. And you mentioned he's played 42 minutes. So if he can continue to play around that mark, they're only going to have to sort of shuffle the lineup around for that six-odd six minutes, which they should be able to do. Crowder could pl- can play a small ball five, and they can, they can sort of shuffle the deck, the deck chairs a little bit. Maybe Kaminsky can give him a couple of minutes and not hurt him too much. What about the, the bench from Phoenix? Who's impressed you the most coming off the bench? For me, it's been been the guy you mentioned last week as your X Factor, Cameron Cam Johnson. He's just he just knocks down big threes. He doesn't seem ruffled when they when they kick it to him in that in the corner. You expect you're shocked if it doesn't go down because he's just such a sweet stroke. And and you mentioned last week that he's a little bit sort of undervalued as a defender. Well, he's battled really hard on the defensive end as well. So I've been impressed with, with Cam Johnson both offensively and defensively. And for me, he's been the one that's really stepped up for them coming off the bench. Is that how you've seen it, or, or is it someone like Campaign that's that, that's uh, stepped up for you? No, look, Johnson's the obvious one, but I think. Now, if you do dig a bit deeper with campaign, it's just incredible to, to even think he's in this situation. His career's taken a number of twists and turns. He was obviously a first-round pick 
back in 2015 to the OKC. Um, he was a part of a, a trade. But essentially, the Chicago Bulls gave quite a uh, quite a lot of um, or gave up quite a lot to to get him in at that time. It was the trade for Taj Gibson and Doug McDermott? They did play him a little bit when he went there, didn't they? Well, Payne was sort of the the key piece coming back Chicago's way, and it was yeah quite a, a big deal, particularly at that time, to give up on a guy like Doug McDermott uh, to bring essentially campaign in. He was the you know the the main piece of that trade coming back, and he only lasted not even the two years before getting waived by Chicago, and then. Signed a couple of ten-day contracts with Cleveland, and then ended up, I think, playing in China or somewhere. Um, and it's really only came back through into the league at the end of last year. So, an, an incredible effort to think he's even you know, a playing in the NBA again, and also you know, playing a, a reasonably significant role as a backup point guard to Chris Paul in the NBA Finals. I just, you know, if you told him that at the, you know, the end of last year or or in 2020 that that was going to be his, what was going to be happening, I think you know he, he would have absolutely been thrilled. He's, you know, worked his way. Back in, he hasn't taken anything for granted. I think it's that's been for me, you know, as much as Cam Johnson, I think's been a, a more important player and and, and gives them um, a little bit more. But campaign really essential role coming off the bench. He, you know, he's jumped in that jumped ahead in the rotation at, ahead of guys like Javon Carter and and each one more and Galloway. So he's been able to take that backup job um, that was there for the offering and, and done a really good job uh, all the way through the regular season and and through these playoffs. Well, he certainly has. I. I... I mentioned earlier on in the season when we spoke about Phoenix that he, he was a big question mark for me. I, I seriously doubted whether you could be relying upon him come playoff time, but he's certainly proved me wrong, and he's yeah he's been outstanding right throughout the playoffs. So from a Milwaukee perspective, Caddy, which player are you looking at that needs to come to the party a little bit more if there's going to be any chance to get back in in this series? Well, it's got to be Chris Middleton. I mean, he's the guy that really had to come into this series and almost averaged 30 points a game at, at, at a reasonable scoring clip. We, we know he, what he's capable of because he's shown it at different stages through through his career, you know, even in the last series in the playoffs, that he is capable of, you know, of scoring, you know, in excess of those 30 to, you know, even up to 40 points a game. And, you know, he really needed to bring that um, in both of these first two games. And, and really from there, here on in, he's going to have to get that shooting, uh, shooting number up in terms of the field goal percentage. He's only shooting the 43% from the field, 33% from three in this series so far, just averaging the 22 points. So that's got to get a, a really big lift up. I think we said last week, we, we kind of know from a statistical point of view where we think Giannis is going to land on most nights and it's going to be in that 30.15 30 rebound sort of range. Well, Middleton's the guy that has to basically back that up and, and get to 30 points night in, night out, you know, really help, you know, drive Milwaukee back into the series. Yeah, he certainly does. It's it's so frustrating, is it? And yeah, we spoke about this last week about how he's so good one game and then so poor the next. Like it wouldn't even shock you if he come out and scored thirty five points tomorrow. You wouldn't even bat an eyelid because that that's what he does. For me, it's Drew Holiday he, in game one, he only had the ten points, the seven rebounds, and nine assists, which is nice. But you, you don't bring a guy in as you said on a on a max contract. Yes, he's been very good uh, defensively. Certainly, game two. Um, I thought he was really effective on Chris Paul, despite the fact Chris Paul still got his numbers. Chris Paul had the six turnovers, which is very unusual, and a couple of sort of sloppy ones late, and that could have just been uh, through fatigue. We did see a couple of times late in Game 2 where Chris Paul sort of gave the ball up early and let somebody else bring the ball up the floor because he was just continually being hounded by Drew Holiday. So he certainly come to the party on the defensive end, but you need more than 7 from 21 from the field, as I mentioned earlier, from, from Drew Holiday. So I'm looking for, for Drew Holiday to continue uh, to push it defensively, limit Chris Paul as much as possible, but we, Milwaukee certainly need more from Drew Holiday on the offensive end. 
So how do you see Game 3 going, Caddy? Are you leaning towards Milwaukee getting this one because they're, they're back at home? Usually these sort of role players do play better at home. Or do you still think it's uh, Phoenix in the driver's seat for Game 3? Yeah, well, I picked Phoenix to win 4-1 uh, the series. Well, I'll, I'll give this game as the one I think Milwaukee um, will obviously need to win and, and probably should win. You know, to get back home, their, their crowd will be boisterous. They'll be enthusiastic. They'll give them a lot of energy. Um, we haven't seen a lot of, the, you know, some great shots at the Milwaukee live sites all the way through these playoffs, actually. And how had... amazing is the crowd they're getting? They're getting almost – are they getting a full house inside as well and then what they're getting outside? Because they've got people watching it on the big screen inside their arena and then what are they calling Deer District outside as well, which is yeah, that's right. amazing. Yeah, So, look, it's awesome to see. And I think, you know, that's going to give these players a hell of a lot of energy and, you know, they're going to – well, it's a must-win game. There's no doubt about that. So I think, you know, if they're – then show us any resolve or, you know, in this series that's going to have to happen uh, tomorrow. And I think that'll be the game for me that, you know, they'll win in this series. And if they just don't do it, it potentially could end in a sweep. You, you never like seeing these teams go down 3 0 with the, you know, the backs really up against the wall. But um, in, in this case, I think you know, they're, they're playing, you know, okay enough. And, you know, we've talked about a lot of the, you know, the poor shooting that they've had, particularly from Holiday Middleton. But, you know, they've been in both games. You know, to a degree, yeah, no all, all the yep. way through. Like they haven't been blown out in either of these games, so they've been able to hang in there reasonably well without playing anywhere near probably their best. So I think if they can get things uh, going back on their terms tomorrow, um, there's no doubt, or there's no reason why they can't um, win this game tomorrow. Yeah, I agree. I, I I think the the scores haven't been a true indication of how close these games have been. You mentioned game two that Phoenix got out to that big lead. I think they got out to about 16 points during that third quarter. And even at the start of the last quarter, they did have a healthy lead. But it got down to six points and Connaughton had an open three that he clunked, missed it, and then Phoenix come down and missed a couple of shots and got some offensive rebounds and kicked it out. And I think it was Chris Paul or uh, Bridges in the corner that knocked down a three and, and got it back out to nine points. So there's been some some times where they couldn't just quite close that gap to make Phoenix nervous enough. So, yeah, but but I think they have been in these games. And, and as as we've mentioned, we they haven't got anywhere near the, their best performance from Drew Holiday as yet and certainly game two from Chris Middleton. So I'm expecting tomorrow that they come out, you know, they're a hard team to beat in Milwaukee and they do get uh, game three, they do get the victory in game three. And then, you know, game four obviously becomes, you know, very, very vital game. For you so far, Caddy, if you were to vote on an MVP, who would you be giving your vote to so far? Yeah, well, I mean, we made our predictions uh, last week. I said uh, Devin Booker, I think, would win it. I'd probably have Chris Paul just ahead of him at this stage. I think, you know, in that first game in particular, um, it really was Chris Paul that was so effective all the way throughout that game. Obviously, John Drayton had a, had a terrific game as well. And, and Booker, in the end, you know, got his scoring numbers up. Um, I just thought, you know, at the, at the efficiency of uh, that Chris Paul had, particularly in game one, and just his ability to, you know, really level, uh, have such a level head throughout this series so far. I think at this stage, I'd have him in in, in front of Devin Booker and, you know, Giannis is probably after that monster game, so he'd be sitting in the third the third seed for me at the moment. Yeah, that'd be the, the exact order that I would have as well. I, I predicted Chris Paul because I said, even if it was close, that he was going to get that sentimental vote, and he was outstanding in game one. He was Good. He was still very good in game two, but as I, as I mentioned a couple of times, that defense that Drew Holiday played on him, and I and I would ex, uh, expect that to continue uh, over the remainder of the series. So whether that sort of could sway it, Devin Booker's way, who was outstanding hitting the seven threes in game two, only time will tell. And as you said, there, Giannis. I mean, if he continues to play at this level, and Milwaukee can 
at least sort of get back into this series. I mean, you don't see the losing player get the finals MVP, so they would obviously have to win the series for him to get it, but he, he's been certainly outstanding in game two. So yeah, you, well, Chris Paul, just on him, though, like he'll, he does have to be a bit careful just with the, you know, as you mentioned, that defence. He had the six turnovers in that game two just with the eight assists, so that's a, a number you, you very rarely see attributed to Chris Paul. So, you know, you'd want to clean that up a little bit in this next game and, you know, just try and find a way to, uh, to protect the ball a little bit better. Oh, 100%, yeah. That that was, as I mentioned, that that was that defence, which was outstanding by Drew Holiday. So you mentioned earlier that you predicted a uh, last week a 4-1 series win for Phoenix. Have you been swayed by anything you've seen so far? Do you want to stick fat with that? What, what are you thinking along the lines of the series outcome? No, I'm still pretty comfortable with that at, at this stage. Um, you know, as, as, as we've seen, Phoenix have held serve at home. Milwaukee get that opportunity you know, tomorrow, look, I think, as I, as I said just before, I think they should be able to work off the energy and, and you know, really lock in in front of their home crowd and, and get the win. And then I just think maybe after that will be um, that, you know, that more consistent Phoenix lineup that might just uh, prove to be too strong uh, the rest of the way through. Yeah, so I, I went Phoenix in six, and I'll stick with that. I, as I mentioned, I, I don't think the... The scores of the games have been a true indication. So I'm expecting Milwaukee to win tomorrow. Whether they win game four as well or game five, it obviously remains to be seen. But I'll, I'll stick fat with that with that uh, 4-2 series win for Phoenix. And hopefully it does go six. You, you love to obviously see the, the NBA finals be competitive and, and go for as long as possible. So we'll we'll, uh, we'll call the NBA talk there, Caddy. But we'll now jump into a bit of Boomers talk, which we did uh, say we'll do last week. So... They, they did have a exhibition game today against Argentina, which we'll touch on. But the, the squad which was announced last week, I'll just quickly run through that. So it was Paddy Mills, Dante Exum, Jewup Reith, uh, Matthew Delavadova, Chris Golding, Nathan so- Sobey, Joe Ingles, Josh Green, Matisse Thibel, Nick Kay, Aaron Baines, and Jock Landale. And they did name three replacement players, which were Brock Modem, Josh Caddy, and Xavier Cooks. Was there anybody in that um, squad, Caddy, that surprised you? Was it surprising that Giddy was left out? How did you feel about the squad that was announced? Yeah, I think it was probably Giddy, the one that you looked at to go, well, you know, if they're going to take an Orange Boy as the 12th man, it may have been a really good opportunity to get him into the squad and, and give him that opportunity. But, you know, to Gorgian's credit and the, the rest of the Australian Boomers coaching staff or selectors' credit, you know, they probably just picked who they think were playing was playing the best at the best level at this stage. And, and it's probably fair to say that Nathan Sobey right now is a better player than and Josh Giddy, or you know, we know that Giddy's going to be a lottery pick in the upcoming NBA draft. But at, you know, as it stands right now, Sobey had a terrific season in the NBL and has really earned his spot uh, to come through. So that was probably for me the one that could have gone either way. Brock Modem was another one. Obviously, you mentioned that they got left out and they went for a Joop Reef, probably in that um, big man spot uh, instead of him. So look, outside of that, I, I thought you know, once we knew that Delavadova was you know fit and past his concussion issues, that he would probably be a walk-up starting to the side. I think Nick Kay, Jock Landale, you know, I, I, I had them in my 12-man my roster back when we, we spoke about it a few months ago. I think they were, you know, both walk-ups to, to get those big man spots behind Aaron Baines. So I suppose, you know, Chris Golding would have been another one that was probably on the fringe and obviously Josh, Josh Green as well, who didn't get any minutes today. So they only played the 11 players. Josh Green was the only one out of the 12 Olympic man, uh, Olympic roster uh, that didn't get on the court in today's ex- exhibition game. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting to think they would have given him a little bit of burn. But, um, yeah, I suppose in terms of just that final 12, for me, it was maybe Giddy instead of Sobey. But, you know, it's good to see that Giddy stuck on with the squad. You could see him in the game today 
you know, cheering on the team from the sidelines. He looked like he was even in uniform as well. So, you know, it, at least he's taken it the right way. And, um, yeah, trying to get as much out of the experience of being in the camp as, as he possibly can because he's clearly going to be, you know, what we think may be the future of the Boomers for the next, you know, three to four Olympics. Oh, no doubt about that. And, and it is, yeah, I totally agree. It's good to see him sort of experience this and getting a taste of international basketball because it can only hold him in good stead, you know, come the, the future Olympics that he will no doubt participate in. So we saw today against Argentina um, an outstanding game and a game-winning three by Paddy Mills right on the buzzer. Just from a lineup perspective, they started with Ingalls, Landale, Aaron Baines, Paddy Mills and Matthew Dallavadova. Uh, Thibault and Nick Kay got a bulk of the minutes off the bench with Dante Exum. Um, was, was, it, was that starting five a, a surprise to you? Um, they have gone tall in, in previous uh, Olympics and World Cups that they started Bogut and Baines together. So I guess it wasn't a surprise that they started both Landale and Baines. Was that the starting five that you would go with or can you see that sort of being, you know, maybe shifted depending on the opponent? Maybe Thibault comes in when they've got, you know, offensive that they need to close down. Which way do you see that starting five going? Yeah, look, I don't think, I wasn't so much surprised with that starting lineup. You know, that's been the, the veteran lineup, Ingalls, Baines, Mills, Dallavrova and then Landale. I think was probably the clear next man up in terms of the big big guys. So I think from that starting five, the only change I would probably have would I'd bring Matisse Thibel into that starting lineup at the expense of Matthew Dalibadova. You know, just order. You know, just straight away Thibel fitted in so well. He, he was ter- terrific at the offensive end, really um, slashing and cutting his way through. And as saying you just off the air, that it was actually really pleasing to see an Australian bar- boomer just get to the rack so easily and you know slam it down we don't see it too often in Australian basketball so he was really um, taking flight and threw down a few big hammers as well in, in the first half in particular and wasn't afraid and, to, to and take hitting in. a three ball too which is a key for him if he's got that going I mean that, that's massive isn't it yeah three from three from uh, from outside today which which was huge and that's you know the next step in his NBA career that he needs to continue to improve is that outside shot but um now I love the way he went about it, and even at the defensive end, it was just getting his hands in the right spots. He was just, yeah, um, really disruptive at that end of the floor, which allowed you know the Boomers to get out into the open court. And I think that's where they really looked at their best when when they were getting up and down the floor um, with with some pace and 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 you know out on the fast break. Because once it did slow down and get into the half court sets, they did look to go a little bit ISO too much, I think, for mine. And um, and that's where you could potentially see some some issues. You know, as they progress, you know, into the Olympic Games, is you know when when it does slow down. Um, Aaron you know, Baines been... was just throwing up a bit of junk today, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he was one from seven from outside. I don't think you'd want to. You know, we know he's capable of shooting that outside shot, but they were just giving it to him, um, basically Argentina, and, and welcoming him to take those shots. And yeah, you just like to see him get a little bit more creative at the offensive end. And that's where I don't think Dalavadova really adds too much um, to that. He's not he's not really even prepared to shoot the outside shot. Um, anymore, and he doesn't sort of slash it, um, as well as he used to. So I just think that athleticism that Thibault has would be, um, yeah, just a bit of a point of difference into that starting lineup. And you can give, you know, um, Joe Ingles in particular some more responsibility with the ball handling alongside Paddy Mills potentially, if you do go that down that track of, of taking Delivered over out of the starting lineup. The, the pleasing player for me today that I, you know, really enjoyed just seeing play again was Dante Exum and. You know, he's had such a, a tough career with all the injuries he's had. It was good to see him get out there today. And he, he looked, looked like a bit really, of size, hasn't he? He looks yeah, a lot say, more really bigger thick, than what I'd Really thick, thickened up and, um, yeah, looks a lot more of a mature body clearly now. So he's obviously spent a hell of a long time in the gym probably these last three or four years trying to get his body 
right again. But no, it's just pleasing to see him um, get out there and, and, and play um, any, any sort of meaningful basketball. So yeah, all in all, I think it was they'd be really happy with the matchup. I think it just goes to show, even you know they had a seven point deficit at half time, and you know Argentina, I don't think will be one of the medal probably favourites at the Olympics. They still were able to get silver in the World Cup in 2019, and. You know, you've got a guy like Louis Scholar, I think they said was isn't, 41 years old. And, isn't he yeah. unbelievable? He had 25 points today, eight rebounds, and he's 40, 41. It's going to be his fifth Olympics, 41 years of age. He's just incredible how he just keeps running after Argentina. And every time you watch him play for his country, he just produces every single time. Yeah, he actually looked like the best player on the floor today, <laughs> quite comfortably. And um, they had no answer for him, the boomers at times. He was hitting them from everywhere. So, you know, just an incredible um, national player for Argentina and obviously had a really significant NBA career as well. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, just the depth of a lot of these um, international sides, it's going to be no, you know, walk in the park for, for any of the countries that go over to the Olympics. And, um, you know, Australia going to have the work cut out. Just getting through, you know, that semi final stage again, I think once. They they hopefully progress through the um the round robin phase of the the tournament anywhere from that quarterfinal onwards is going to be um yeah r- really tough work. So for you the, the shooter off the bench it was a little bit of a surprise to me that Sobi was that first shooter if you want off the bench ahead of Chris Golding. Is that the way you see that going, Sobi as that shooter off the bench, or would you prefer it to be Golding who you know we see him for Melbourne United he can just catch fire and he's just hitting threes after threes and really tough threes as well, which he won't have to take um, at international level because he's not going to command anywhere near as much as attention as he does at NBL level. So for me, I'd prefer to see, and maybe it's just my Melbourne United bias coming through, but I would certainly prefer to see Chris Golding be that that three-point sniper off the bench ahead of Nathan Sobey. What about you? Well, so yeah, Sobey kind of played the backup point you know, more so he came on at the expense of Gulliver Dover um, when he first went to the bench and it was Thibel almost coming and matching minutes with um, Joe Ingalls in the first half. He'd, he'd sort of replace him. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, we're talking just, you know, more of a spot-up shooter. Uh, Sobey was playing more as a primary ball handler um, at the point guard position. So whether that's the way they continue to look at, you know, from the backup uh, point guard point of view, that's why... You know, I, I guess if, sorry, issue. I guess if Daly shifts to the bench, then Daly becomes that backup point guard, doesn't he? Well, I think that's you know, that's where I was going to go with it there is, you know, if that Thibault does take that starting role and Paddy Mills almost shifts to a point guard with Joe Ingalls, you know, being the secondary ball handler, it does allow Daly to play, you know, primarily as the backup point guard and then you can go, you know, with a Golding or a Josh Green potentially as that as that extra shooter in, in front of Sobey. But, you know, Sobey's obviously built really strong currency with the, the coaching staff and they were, you know, prepared to get him into the game pretty early on in this one. Yeah, uh, he was just about the first guy that came in off the bench. So, no, look, it's great to see them all in action. You know, they obviously blowing out some cobwebs uh, to start with and, you know, like all the countries uh, probably are at this stage. And, yeah, it's going to be a good lead-up. You know, they play America in a couple of days. They've also got a game against Nigeria. So they'll get a good good hit out um, this week and then um, before they head off to Tokyo. And no doubt Brian Gorgian's obviously still trying to feel out his rotation, how he's going to go about it, who's going to come off the bench in certain situations. So, yeah, as you said, that those exhibition games coming up against both the US and Nigeria will, will be a good chance for, for Gorgian to, to feel out exactly how he's going to go you know, with this roster and his rotation. Um, just, just quickly, what about the news, Matthew Dallavadova signing a three-year contract with Melbourne United next year? That, that That's a real sort of fill-up for the NBL, isn't it? To be able to bring back a guy who's still playing pretty good basketball. I think he's still 30, 31 years of age. So 
I've got no doubt he could have got a minimum contract in the NBA next year and uh, continued down that path if that's what he's chosen. But he's decided to come home and and play for Melbourne United. So th- that that's great for the NBA to get these these NBA players back to the country, isn't it? Well, it's become you know it's almost become the pathway back now for for a lot of these guys that have gone over and had you know really significant careers in America, not just in college but through to the NBA. That they you know their, their decision or there, there is an opportunity to come back. Uh, to the NBL and play in a really strong strong league, which probably wasn't there maybe ten to twelve years ago. So they've been able to obviously Andrew Bogut was the you know the big name that came back a couple of years ago. You know delivered over now. Look, I wouldn't be surprised if you know we're seeing a year or two once Joe Ingle sort of slows down. You know he'd come back and do the same thing. So um, we you know great to see these guys come back and while they've still got some some juice left in the tank and you know obviously a three year deal for delivered over. Isn't insignificant. I, I just wonder whether it'll be Jock Landale that potentially gets that next call up to go over to the NBA and uh, and be the next player to sort of um, get over there. Because I think you know if he has a really strong Olympics in particular, gets get over there and get a, a look at a summer league team. I think um, he'd be every chance to, to pick up a, a contract in the NBA next season. Oh, it'd be a surprise if he didn't, wouldn't it? I mean, I'd, there'd be almost zero chance he's going to be playing in the NBL next season, whether it's a, whether it's in the NBA or certainly over in Europe. We, we were fortunate enough to get him uh, for this season because of the COVID situation across the world, obviously, and, you know, he led Melbourne United to a championship. But, yeah, I, I think this will be the last time we'll see Jock Landau, certainly for, for quite a few years anyway, uh, in the NBL. Uh, the other game we'll quickly touch on that was played today was the game between the United States and, and Nigeria. And what a shock result it was with Nigeria coming away with the, the 90 to 87 win. And, and we saw uh, Gabe Vincent uh, from, from Miami Heat uh, had 21 points, six of eight from three, uh, obviously leading Nigeria to that win. Now they've got eight rostered NBA players on, on their, on their roster, but no stars, you know, you're looking at, KZ Parler and Preston Sachua and Gabe Vincent all from Miami Heat, Josh Kogi, these sort of names. So no stars by any means. And United States sort of, you know, KD came out, he played the 28 minutes, Tatum played the 27 minutes, uh, Lillard played 27, Brad Beal played 25. So it wasn't as if these guys were just sort of fooling around and, and not playing too many minutes. But what did, what did you take away from this, Caddy? I mentioned last week when we spoke about um, the United States with this roster they put together it was pretty much a foregone conclusion that they were going to win gold, but not that you know a, a one-off game will change too much. But I, I guess it, it, it sort of highlights now that the way that the game is played with so many three-pointers being shot, that you do get these outlier games where a team can catch fire and in and in, in this sort of knockout tournament, one, one of these big teams can get upset, whether it be the United States or somebody else. During these Olympic Games, we could see some upsets because of the variance we do see from the three-ball. Yeah, I mean, huge, huge result. I mean, forget the fact that it's a first-up exhibition game. There's just no, nowhere in the world you would have thought Nigeria would would be able to beat the United States. And it's not like they, you know, this United States team, as you mentioned, is just a, a bunch of second-rate players. They did have, you know, some really significant stars playing in this game. And you mentioned the minutes that they played, and even, you know, that from you look at the Nigeria box score, you know. Gabe Vincent and Josh Kogi and you know some of the, the bigger names that they do have, they're only playing the 18 minutes, 16 minutes. So um, Nigeria actually spread their their minutes out to about 12, 13 guys down the down the order um, quite evenly. So that's interestingly, Jalil uh, Okafor didn't get off the bench for Nigeria. I don't know if he's injured or or what the go is there, but that's a bit strange, isn't it? Yeah, well, that that sort of stands out when you look in the their box score, whether as you said, whether he wasn't fit to play or not. But yeah, I mean, 
Epi Udo was was out there. Um, you know they, they've got some some players that have been uh, been in the league for a, a period of time. But yeah, certainly a huge upset. I saw something today. I think it was the 2012 Olympics where <laughs> Nigeria lost by 83 points to the United States. So it's a fair turnaround. One fifty six to seventy three at the 2012 Olympics. That's incredible. So it's a fair turnaround from that point. So yeah, a huge shock result. Um, I mean it's it's insignificant. Insignificant in terms of the fact that it's a meaning, you know, it's not a game with any meaning and um, it doesn't count for, for too much. But I'm, I don't think any you'd tell that to any of the Nigerian players. I'm sure they got great satisfaction out of um, beating the United States as their coach Mike Brown, uh, the former Cleveland Cavalier head coach, would have. Um, I'm sure he, he was enjoying it as well, being able to you know, take down such a big scalp. So, now look, I think we'll see a, a much more um, energised US team when they next uh, when they next play and. You know, they're, they're again just trying to build some chemistry. They've still got obviously some of their key players involved in the NBA finals, so that that will join up with the squad at a later date. But um, yeah, yeah, shock, a shock upset. There's no doubt about it. There's no way to sugarcoat it. But as I said, it, um, there's bigger, bigger fish to fry um, in the next month or so for this US team. So any any concern at all? Is it or is it just just a total outlier that, uh, that something like this could happen? It was interesting to see their, their starting five was Lillard, Bill, Adebayo, Tatum, and Durant. Off the bench, it was it was Grant, uh, Draymond Green, and Zach Levine. Now you mentioned the fact that they've got Booker, Holiday, and Chris Middleton, obviously performing in the, in the NBA Finals at the moment. So certainly Booker and, and Holiday, you'd imagine, would get quite a few minutes off the bench. Holiday for for the defensive purposes, and obviously Booker, you know, for for offensive purposes. So is is there any level of concern? Do you think they're still feeling themselves out, trying to get their best sort of lineup sorted, or, or what did you see from United States perspective? Well, I would say not so much concern just on the back of this result. I just think, you know, the international game, you know, is so even really across the board. Um, you know, we've seen it you know, for for quite a long time now since the, you know, we saw the American Dream Team come in in 92 and basically, you know, kill everyone at, at that stage. But the US haven't had, had it all their own way um, in, in all these international um, major major events. So, look, they're going to have to absolutely be at their best really to, you know, make sure that they do bring home gold, which they're still going to be absolutely favoured to do. But, you know, I, I think you, you you just can't discount, you know, the, some of these international teams because, you know, there's a, there's some teams that have been around for a long time, like these Australian boomers that have played in multiple major events that, um, you know, built some significant chemistry. Spain's another one, Argentina, you know, Lithuania, Serbia, they're, you know, they're all, you know, really, really strong basketball nations. And, you know, they'll be, each of them giving themselves every chance to, not only get through to the middle rounds, but also cause cause the upset cause the upset when they get there. Interestingly, KD actually had a thirty nine and zero record for Team USA before today. I don't know if those records included exhibitions or what, but I've got a feeling it may have. So that actually might have been KD's first loss for Team USA. And it'll be interesting to see, as you mentioned earlier, that you know the Boomers are playing Team USA this week. So it'll be interesting to see how they do go uh, against. Uh, against Team USA, because you'd imagine this would sort of sting them into action, wouldn't you? And and you wouldn't even be surprised that if this is the last time that a, that a team gets reasonably close to them. That, that certainly wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all. All right, Caddy, so we'll call it there. So we've obviously got Game 3 tomorrow and I think another maybe two games before we, before we do talk next week. So it'll be interesting to see how the finals is situated, whether, whether they're all over and where we can talk about the champions or whether we're talking about a Game 6 or a Game 7. As I say every week, uh, thank you to everybody who continues to download this podcast. Um, jump on Apple Podcasts if you can. Give us a five-star rating. 
Um, also jump on the on the Facebook page and like the page there because we do post all the episodes there. And as I've said the last few weeks, if you've got some friends that are interested in basketball, if you could share our podcast with them, that would be much appreciated. Until next week, we'll talk to you then.